Um, and next Sunday, next Lord's Day, is going to be our last Sunday school class until the Sunday after Labor Day. So we take all of July and all of August off. Um, and also next week, we're having a visiting preacher, uh, Reverend David McMillan from, I think it's Armagh Free Presbyterian Church. I think that's the church he's a pastor of. Um, so he'll be here the morning and evening services. And I think I'm doing Sunday school next week. And that'll be the last one, like I say, until after Labor Day. This morning, I want us to look at two different passages of Scripture. I want us to turn first to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And then, if you will find the book of James and just put a finger in James chapter 1. We'll look at two different passages here. Several weeks ago, we were looking at the subject of the means of grace. Pop quiz. What are the means of grace? Somebody younger than 18, answer that question. Not Hudson, because we talk about this all. What are the means of grace? We say this every single week in this church. There's no point in talking if we don't know what we're talking about. Maggie, what are the means of grace? Prayer, baptism, sacraments, singing, preaching. I was going to say, you are forgetting the most important one. Okay, the preaching of the word, that's one. So define the means of grace. You listed them. Let's define them. I had an adult, okay, I had an adult after that Sunday school lesson say to me, I never realized blank was a means of grace. So this was an adult that's been coming to this church for over 20 years. So we need to know what we're talking about. So the means of grace are the ordinary means, it's the ordinary way that God has chosen to administer grace to his people. It's the the normal means that God has ordained to bless his people. And so prayer is one of them. Maggie mentioned that. When we pray privately and then Definitely, when we pray corporately, it is a means of grace. It's one of the normal ways that God has ordained to bestow blessing upon us, to minister to our soul. Not to give us money, that's not the kind of grace and benefit, but spiritual benefits that we receive from the Lord. So prayer is one. The preaching of the word, the reading of scripture, but Specifically, the preaching of the Word of God is a means of grace. Private reading of the Scripture is a means of grace. But the preaching of the Word is what God has ordained to save sinners. Uh, That's what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's by the foolishness of preaching that God has, has ordained that means for the salvation of sinners. So the preaching of the Word is one. The sacraments, the Lord's table and baptism, that is a means, that's one of the normal ways that God communicates grace. And then we often add to that 
the public fellowship of God's people, as the Lord's people fellowship together around the things of the Lord, not necessarily the Lord's people fellowshipping together talking about the game, but fellowshipping together around the things of the Lord, the, the iron sharpening iron concept is one of the normal means that God uses. Now, Maggie mentioned singing. Uh, we do have two different passages in the scriptures that tell us we're to exhort one another. And in the context of that, we're told to make melody in our hearts to the Lord, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so there are some that put the corporate singing of God's people into that category of the means of grace. Most do not, um, but it's one of those aspects that, hey, not going to get all upset about that. So those are the ordinary means that God uses to bless his people. Now, there are extraordinary means that God uses to bless his people. Um, those, we, we have to just acknowledge, those are at God's discretion. Um, and we're not to anticipate the extraordinary means of grace. So an extraordinary means would be the Holy Spirit breaking forth in revival. We pray for that. We want that. But that's extraordinary. That's not the ordinary way that God works. God ordinarily works as... I'll put it this way, the tortoise and not the hare. God ordinarily works in the life and the heart of the believer in a slow, methodical, crockpot kind of way, not a microwave kind of way. And that's the normal way that God works. So you come to church on Sunday, and you come back Sunday night, and you come to prayer meeting on Wednesday, and you come to church on Sunday, and you come back Sunday night, and you go, you go to prayer meeting on Wednesday, and you just do that over and over and over and over again, and the Lord has chosen, he's told us, that is the normal means that God uses to bless his people. So those are the means of grace. So after I did that initial Sunday school lesson, we did, or I, I did, I don't have a rock in my pocket, so there's not more than, and I'm not schizophrenic, so it's not we. I did a, Sunday, a three-part Sunday school lesson um, on the Lord's table, what to do before, during, and after. Now, last week, um, we talked about what is gospel thinking, uh, but this week, I want to come back to an aspect of the means of grace, and more specifically, look at the subject of preaching, and then in that subject, more specifically, um, how to listen to a sermon, how to, how to pay attention to the preached word of God. I think this is an important thing for us to consider. So let's look at two passages, 1 Thessalonians 2, to start with, um, start in verse number 10. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 10. Paul writing here says, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted 
and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. And so that, that is Paul's preaching. Verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God. This is part of his charging. That you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause, or because of this, also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that belief. And so to the Thessalonians here, he's telling them that he's thankful. He thanks the Lord that when he preached among them, they received God's word faithfully, as it really is. It really is the word of God. It's not the word of a man. It's the word of God to their soul. And Paul thanks them, that thanks the Lord for them, that they receive the word in such a way. And now over to James chapter 1, uh, verse number 22. So here James tells us, that we are to be doers, be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. So we are to hear, but we're to do more than just hear. We are to do. So be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For, or because, if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, He's likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass or in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But, instead, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And so James here is emphasizing an aspect of hearing and doing, and we'll hone in on that just a little bit more later on. But it's happened to me, just as I know it's also happened to you, you get home and somebody at lunch says something about the sermon And you're like, whoa, I missed that part. Or you're racking your brain trying to remember, what in the world did he preach on? I mean, I know it's Romans. Like right now, it's a little bit easier for us, right? Romans, something about Romans. And so in a conversation, I guess maybe you can fake it a little easier because it's Romans and he's, what, about in chapter 6? And so um, you can pretend like you remember what was preached? Um, what was Reggie's sermon title from last Sunday? Anybody? Nobody. Right? I have no idea. Right? So I'm not. This is this is like Planet Fitness. This is a judgment-free zone. I, I have. I don't know what it was. Okay. What did he preach about last Sunday night? Anybody know? I just cheated and What you cheated and looked? Yeah. Psalm 8, is that what it was? You could have put a gun to my head, I couldn't have told you. Right? I have no idea. 
Right? So we're all guilty. Right? This, is, this is not a, you know, you bunch of scoundrels, y'all need to pay better attention. That, that's not, this is not this at all. I don't know. I don't remember. Now, should we? Yeah, probably. Or at least better. I, I should do a better job than I, I normally do. But how often does this happen, right? We, we are forgetful hearers. How can we be a doer of the word, of the work, um, if we don't hear? You know, every sermon, every sermon that, that really is a sermon, not a motivational speech, but every, every sermon that really is a sermon really needs to have a now what part to that sermon. I heard a preacher use this little trilogy about sermons. He says every, every sermon has to have a what. The what has to do with the content of that sermon. Every sermon also needs a so what. That's the implications of the what, right? So what is it? What does it say? Okay, fine. So what? So what are the implications of that? How does that affect me? And then every sermon needs to have a now what? Okay, here's the so what. Here's the implications of it. Now what? Now what do I do? What, what in me needs to change? What, what about my life is not in conformity to what this text tells me that I'm supposed to be, do, say, think, etc. And so how can we grasp, and obviously with the Spirit's help, how can we implement that now what part of the sermon if we can't even remember what it was? And so it's incumbent upon us to be careful, to pay attention um, when, we, when we come to a message. Every sermon really should carry with it eternal consequences. That's the so what part of it. You know, what are the implications of this? That's the so what. Uh, there are eternal consequences to the preaching of the word of God. And then, you know, I repeat myself, but the now what of it, how, do I, how does this change me? What do I do now as a result of this message? So I want to look at this subject. We're not going to be overly deep, not going to be overly complicated, but what, is, what, are, what are some tips uh, to listening to a sermon profitably? And so we'll start with the first point, and that is, Listen with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what do I mean by that? Listen with the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, if we start here, then we really have to look at this from the perspective that that part of listening to a sermon starts before the sermon. It starts before you arrive at church. It starts before you hit play on the sermon audio app, whatever. It starts previous to the sermon. And so in that, we're doing a few things. Two, specifically, I'll point out to you. First, we ask for the Spirit's power on the preacher. Now, it's a little bit different with sermon audio. Um, you know, before you listen to a sermon audio sermon, I, I think that ship has sailed. You know, bless the preacher. He's already preached it. It's recorded. But in live preaching, Sunday morning, Sunday night, prayer meeting, etc., 
the, the live preaching of the word, we are praying for the Spirit's power on the preacher. Now, this is really, this should be really the focus of our pre-service prayer meeting. Um, we, we don't really have a morning pre-service prayer meeting. That we've, we've had those in the past in our church here. It's difficult with the space we have and the coming and going, and it's hard to facilitate that. And so we don't have those, at least regularly. But the Sunday night pre-service prayer meeting, the purpose of that is not really primarily for a bunch of prayer requests. We, we pray for things. It's appropriate to pray for things. But the purpose of that prayer meeting is really to focus and, and, and ready our hearts and minds for the preached word, the, the preaching of, of the word. So we ask for the Spirit's power on the preacher. Now, even Christ, in his preaching, relied upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And so if Christ was relying on the power of the Spirit, then how much more does any other preacher need to rely on that power? And how much more do we as a congregation need to pray for the preacher? You know, Reggie says that all the time. Pastor Kimbrough says that all the time. Pray for the preacher. Well, yes, pray for the preacher in his life and you know, ministry and counseling and through the week and, and the rest, but we pray for his preparation. We pray for the Lord to protect and guard his time, that he, he would have time for preparation and, and not have other things that distract away from that. And then we pray for the, the delivery, the preaching of the word. And praying for the preacher in the delivery and the preaching of that word is, in essence, praying for yourself. That the Lord would fill him in such a way to communicate in such a way that's effective and profitable to, to the congregation. And so another aspect of this, the Apostle Paul, when he went to Corinth, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says to them, in my preaching... I'm sorry, in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And so I think sometimes maybe we misunderstand that verse. Paul is not saying here that, um, you know, I'm a bumbling fool and can't string two words together unless the Holy Spirit helps me. That's not what he's saying. Paul had the ability. He, he was a very trained and educated Pharisee under Gamaliel. The school of Gamaliel was the seminary of the day, if you will. Paul had the ability from a thespian point of view, from, from an actor, right, a, an orator. Paul could have gone to Corinth and dazzled them with enticing words of man's wisdom. But Paul says, that's not what I'm about. I have to have the power of the Spirit. Because Paul, you know, put words in Paul's mouth. I'm not giving a speech. This is a sermon. This is different. This is not a speech. I'm not trying to just motivate you to do something. 
This is, a, this is the word of God to you. And Paul understood the need for the power of the Spirit. So if the preacher doesn't have the Spirit's power, then um, you know, we're, we're off the rails before we even get started. But second, after you pray for the preacher, then you pray for the Spirit's power on yourself. And so Colossians 1.9, for example, Paul is praying for the Colossian believers that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul prayed that for, for his listeners. I mean, they were reading the book, but his listeners. And so that's a relevant prayer for us to pray for ourselves, that the Lord would fill us with all knowledge of his will in wisdom and understanding. We need to pray for that. We need to pray that the Lord would break up the fallow ground of our heart. You remember the parable of the soils, that there's these different kinds of soils. There's this wayside, there's the good soil, there's the rocky soil, there's that, that the weeds grow up and, and choke it out. We pray that the Lord would till up our hearts and make it to be that fertile ground to receive the word, as the Thessalonians did, to receive it as it is in truth. And so when we pray for ourselves, we're praying that the Lord, yes, would give us understanding. There, there has to be a mental part of it, but yet it has to go also to the heart. And that's what we're praying and aiming at, that the Lord would open our heart to receive the word. And so to start, we, we pray for the Lord to give us the Holy Spirit. So we listen with the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing, second point I would put to you, is to listen with discernment. Listen with great discernment. Cults exist because people don't have discernment to parse and understand the Word of God. And so if we're to listen with discernment, then obviously we have to pay attention. We obviously have to listen to the words being said. We have to understand what's being said. Um, We have to just pay attention, be awake. Hudson, this morning, gave me a tip. He said he learned this in his EMR class that he took. Was it 7 to 10, Hudson? So it's in the evening after working all day, he said he learned how to stay asleep. How to, how to stay asleep. That's easy to do. Some of, some of you are good at that. Um, how to stay awake during class. He said take a big swallow of water and just hold it in your mouth. And just sit there with your mouth full of water. You can't fall asleep <laughs> with a mouth in your water, or water in your mouth. And if you do fall asleep, it's going to run down your chin and wake you up. So, pro tip. So, if I see any of you this morning, I'll know what's going on. One of my tips is I sit and I raise my feet about two inches off the floor and just hold them. So, it's a great quad exercise um, and it's hard to fall asleep while you're holding your your legs up. Um, but that's a tip. That's a help to, to pay attention, to, to stay awake, to stay focused. Uh, 
Um, another tip is to go to bed at night. Don't stay up so late. But that's beside the point. But we pay attention. So you come into the book of James here. James is not condemning these people for being hearers. In essence, he's like, hey, you do a fine job listening. You're just not doing. There's a big difference in that. You have to be a hearer. You have to be a doer of the word and not only a hearer. Now, James is writing, look at verse 1. James, a servant of God, and to the Lord Jesus, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. And so James is writing primarily to a Jewish audience. He's writing to those who would, more than likely, have at least some rudimentary knowledge of Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic. Uh, Aramaic is a Hebrew derivative language. Aramaic was the language of the day. Um, in Greece, they also spoke Greek, but Aramaic was the lingua franca, uh, at least when Jesus was alive. Uh, but they would have had some knowledge of Hebrew. In Hebrew, the word that is translated as hear, so for example, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And so, you know, we could kind of put that in a, an updated kind of language and say, pay attention, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. Or listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear. And we have other times in the prophets where the prophet will say, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. That exact same Hebrew root, so in Hebrew, verbs are always three letters. Every Hebrew verb, all of them, every single one of them is always three letters. And there are conjugations of that verb that have a different sense and a different nuance. And so that same word, that same root that is translated as here is the exact same root. It's the same verb that in the Old Testament is translated as obey. And so from a Hebrew linguistic perspective and also from a Hebrew thinking, a Jewish thinking, to hear is to obey. If you don't obey, then it means you didn't hear. This carries over a little bit in English, right? And so a mom walks by her kid's bedroom, and it's a sta, right? Stuff everywhere. And the mom says to the child, Did you not hear me say, clean your room? Well, what the mom is getting at is, it's obvious that you did not obey what I told you to do. You must not have heard me. Had you heard me, surely you would have obeyed. And so when James is using this language, be doers of the word and not hearers only. He's writing it in Greek, fine, but a Jewish mindset of hearing and obeying, hearing and doing, they would have put those pieces together and they would have understood the, the significance of what James is talking about. And so paying attention 
is more than just mentally processing the sentences coming out of the mouth of the preacher, but it is ultimately putting into action the doing of what you have heard. And so that's part of our discernment, that we listen, we listen carefully, we understand, we understand the so what of it, and we understand the now what of it, the implications and, and the therefore of what we're to do. But listening with discernment also means that we search the scriptures. We pay attention in such a way. I don't know if this has happened to you. I hope it has happened. I'll be listening to a sermon and a preacher will say something. And it's just the way they phrase something is like, wait. And not in a judgmental way, because a preacher can misspeak. And I'm sure I've done all kinds of crazy stuff and had Peter building the ark and you know, Noah climbing a sycamore tree. And, you know, people say all kinds of goofy stuff, not thinking and just a mistake. But a preacher could, could say something in such a way as like, wait, what are, what are the theological implications of what you just said in, in question? And, and really think, and we're going we're to get to a meditating aspect in a moment, but mulling those things over and then going and searching the scriptures. Do I understand that right? This is what they did in Acts 17, 11, The Bereans, they're uh, commended for being more noble than the Thessalonians. Now, we just read from the Thessalonians. Paul commended the Thessalonians because... They receive the word of God as it is in truth, the word of God. Well, that's wonderful. But Paul says these Bereans were even more noble because I think we have to understand by implication here, they also receive the word as it is in truth, the word of God. But they went a step further and they took their Bibles and they began to search the scriptures Comparing scripture with scripture to make sure that these things were so. They weren't just blindly accepting the words of a preacher. They were listening with a critical mind. Now, I want to be careful here and make sure this is clear. I believe the Bereans were listening critically, but I don't think the, Bere the Bereans were critical. I don't think the Bereans were listening as skeptics I don't think the, the Bereans were listening to the preaching from a guilty until proven innocent perspective. I think what we're to understand of this commendation on the Bereans is that they were careful. They were careful in what they received in, making sure that these things were so. They weren't just blindly taking the the words of a man. They received it, the verse says, with all readiness of mind. They were, they were happy to receive the word, but they wanted to compare Scripture with Scripture with that word. And that's part of discernment as well. And then part of discernment also is meditating on that word, taking the, the so what and the now what of the preached word and mulling that over, thinking on these, these things. I'm not one that takes notes. I, I, 
about the only time I ever take notes um, for a sermon is sometimes at the week of prayer. Um, and I've done that in the past because when I get back, um, I want to relay what the messages were about. And otherwise, I forget it, so I take notes. Otherwise, I'm not one, like here on Sundays, I don't, I don't take notes. That I don't do that. Um, but that's very valuable to be able to have something to refer back to. What did he say? What did he say about that? That point was really good. Let me jot that down, that kind of thing. And, and to be able to take that and meditate on that afterwards, that's all part of a discerning spirit with the word of God. Um, the third point, two more here. Um, we'll go through this one quickly. The third point is to listen with a submissive heart. And so this goes with um, part of what was said about the Bereans. I don't take what we read in Acts to be that the Bereans were critical, that they were skeptical. There was a, submissive, a submissiveness to them because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. And so when we sit under the preached word, we sit under that word with a submissive heart. We don't come casting judgment on Scripture Scripture comes casting judgment on us. And so we submit ourselves to the word, to its doctrine, to its reproof, to its correction, to its instruction in righteousness, that we would be thoroughly finished, thoroughly perfected to all good works. This is what the Lord is, is doing in us. And so the whole Bible is profitable for our doctrine, for our correction, etc., and so with the preached word, you know, sermons have emphasis perhaps more in one area than another one. A sermon could be more heavy on doctrinal teaching, and just by the nature of the sermon, the nature of the text, it could be really light on the now what part of it. Although a doctrinal, theologically focused sermon should still have a, a so what and a now what, you know, God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Big deal. What does that mean? How does that affect me? What's the, what do I do in light of that truth? How should I respond to that? So a heavy theological message of doctrine still needs to have this other. It might be light on reproof. It might be light on, on correction. But yet another sermon that's perhaps more topical in nature more focused on a particular sin in nature. It might be light on doctrinal implications. It might be way heavier on application. And it might be far weightier in the now what category of, of things. And maybe, maybe less emphasis on the what, more on the now what. You know, and, and there's different types and styles of sermons and Different texts of scripture lend themselves to different types and the different personalities of preachers lend themselves to a different emphasis uh, in, in preaching. But we come to the preached word submissive to what the Lord would have for us. You know, you, I don't get off on a big rabbit trail. You, you've probably heard some say, you know, about such and such a preacher or such and such a church or, or whatever, I'm just not being fed. I'm just not being fed. I always pause 
at that statement. I'm just not being fed. Well, we ask ourselves, or, or that person saying that ought to ask themselves the question. Not being fed. What you're saying is that the preacher is not preaching the word of God. That, that's really what you're saying. And we have to be very careful here. Because you might not be being fed filet mignon. You might not be being fed village tavern. But if it's the preaching of the word, if you believe this man to be truly a man of God, it might be a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But you are being fed. Might not be what you want to eat. But you are being fed. And we need to be very careful sitting under the preaching of the word. In that judgmental spirit. Saying this is no good. Because if you believe that this is a man that God has filled with the spirit that he is a spirit-filled man to preach, and this is the church that God has called you to be in, then the food is what it is. I don't like, Lydia, plug your ears. I don't like every meal that Lydia cooks. But that's okay. She cooks all the meals. Most of them, are delicious. Some of them, eh. Every once in a while, she'll try to pull the kale thing, right? That's no good, okay? Do you know what? Here's a tip, cooking tip. When you cook kale, if you put bacon grease in the pan, it helps the kale slide out into the garbage easier, just right, right out of the pan. It doesn't stick as bad if you use a little bacon grease. But we need to be careful on am I being fed? Well, maybe we need to go back to point one. Am I praying for that preacher? Am I praying for my own spirit? Am I I praying for a receptive heart? Am I coming to this with a judgmental, critical spirit to start with? Or am I coming truly submissive, saying, Lord, speak to me today? Because sometimes you just need a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You can't eat at Village Tavern every day. The last one is listen for Christ. That's the most important thing. Listen for Christ. As the the preaching of the word goes from Genesis to Revelation, from one message to another, all through the scriptures, the whole Bible ultimately points to the person and work of Christ. Um, be very thankful. We're in a church where Christ is preached. The preaching of Christ does not mean that the preacher draws a picture, a mental picture of Jesus on the cross every Sunday. That, that's, not, that, that's not what Christ-centered preaching necessarily means. Christ-centered preaching at its very fundamental, foundational uh, state is preaching that takes one's attention away from man and to God. It's, it's preaching that emphasizes a, a looking away from self and to Christ, 
away from self-sufficiency and to a sufficiency of Christ. It is summarized in the words of John the Baptist, I must decrease, he must increase. That's Christ-centered preaching. And that was the Apostle Paul when he went to Corinth. If there was ever a church in the history of the world that needed a 12-step program to get out of the mess they were in, it was Corinth. But Paul didn't come to Corinth with a workbook for them to go through. He didn't come to Corinth with you know, some 12-step plan for them to deal with all their problems. He says, I came not with excellency of speech. I didn't come trying to use man's wisdom and some psychological you know, tool to, to fix this problem. I came with the preaching of the power of the Spirit, the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. And that's what will fix the problems. And you can go through the, the book of Corinthians and you can, you can make you a T-chart and list the problem and list Paul's solution to that problem. You have a whole pile, a list of problems. But his solution is always something pointed to the person and work of Christ. That, that's his solution. Problem, person, work of Christ. Problem, person, work of Christ. And Paul does that. He, he preaches Christ. And so in our, in our preaching, in our, in our listening to preaching, what is it about Christ? What is it about the glory of God? What is it about what Christ has done for me that's the now what of this, that I, I go forward uh, in his power and with his help? So I trust, hopefully, the Lord will use this and be helpful for us. We'll close our Sunday school time here and prepare our hearts for the service here. Let's pray. Our Father, we do ask for your help as we prepare our hearts for the worship service here in a moment. We ask that you'll bless our singing. We pray that it would be a time where we lift our voices in praise to you. And we do pray for the preaching of your word. I pray for myself in preaching that you would help me Pray for each hearer that is gathered in today that uh, we would know your help. And we pray that you would go before us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.